pay up. Why don't you go ahead and uh, grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts. Acts chapter four is gonna be this morning, Acts chapter four. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, if you forgot a Bible, if you didn't bring a Bible, if you throw your hand up, we'd love to get a Bible into your hands. And if, if you don't own a Bible, then take one of these home as our gift to you. Um, if you want a better Bible than just a paper Bible, man, swing by the lost and found. There's tons of leather Bibles there. <laughs> grab one of those. Um, if you've got a common name, you may find with your name on it too. That'd be sweet, fine. Anyway, why don't you go ahead and uh, grab God's word, turn to Acts chapter four. You're right off the bat, before we jump into the God's word, I just wanna get something out there um, as you're turning to Acts chapter four, and it's this. Um, my favorite Disney princess is Rapunzel. I thought I'd get that out there, right, from Tangled. She's my, it used to be Ariel, all right, but I, I think it's more Rapunzel. Ariel doesn't dress real modestly. We don't judge her. She's not a believer. But, you know, I, I, <laughs> I love, uh, like, Rapunzel's my favorite princess. And I, I realize that as I say that, <clears throat> there are many of you here who'd be like, Kai, we were never um, had this belief that you were the manliest dude in our church. Um, but you saying that, like, Maybe check your man card on the way out that you're talking Disney princess. Or maybe there's, I know there's, there's people here in, in, our, in our church here in Perry Sound that are like, hey, hey, in the fall, I'm leaving my family. I'm going to be decked out in, in camo from head to toe, carrying a weapon on my shoulder to kill the food for my family. And I don't care about Disney princesses, all right? Yeah, I didn't care about them either um, until October of 2004 when my first of three princesses was born to our family, right? And as each daughter arrives on the scene, it, it's changed me. And if, if you're a dad with daughters, you get this, right? I started to care about things that I didn't care about before. I started to learn about things I didn't even, even know existed before. And, and the reality is true of, of any relationship that we have. If, if you have a relationship with someone, if you want to go deep in that relationship, well, what do you do? You start to care about the things they care about. And, and what's true about our, our physical relationships here on earth is also true spiritually. When, when you meet Jesus, listen, when you meet Jesus, you begin to care about what he cares about. If you're a follower of Christ, if, if you embrace what Jesus says, he goes, hey, if, if you're gonna be my follower, you're gonna love the Lord your God with all your heart and might and soul and mind. You're going to be this, this I'm all in, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ kind of a relationship you have. And, and one of the ways you can tell, hey, am I growing in this relationship with Jesus is, listen, are you caring about the things he cares about? Because when you meet Christ, you, you have new affections, you, you have new loves, new passions, new goals, new purposes for your life. And you begin to see those work out. You see it in your relationships. Hey, hey things are different because Jesus is a part of this. You see it in how you spend your time. You can see it in your bank account. You can see it all over. You see it in your, in your family. You see it in your daily choices. And what I want to do, I want us to dive in for the next four Sundays into something that I believe Jesus cares deeply about. When you read the gospel accounts, it's something that drove Jesus every day. And what was it? What was it that drove Christ? Was it God's glory? I mean, for sure, he says that he did everything for the glory of, of, of God, his father. But here's the thing, though. If it was only God's glory, he could have stayed in heaven because God is ultimately like his glory is an ultimate display in heaven. He could have just stayed there, but he didn't. He came to earth. Was it, was it doctrine and, and, and theology and, and, and the word of God? And yeah, Jesus was fired up about the word of God. For sure he was. I mean, in fact, he told his disciples, hey, hey, write down this stuff. 
Share this, this with people as you go. When he walked with those two guys on the road to Emmaus, he didn't just talk about anything. He, he took them through the scriptures, it says. He brought them from Genesis all the way through the Old Testament, pointing to, hey, here was me all the way through the word. The word of God was important to Jesus, but that wasn't it. That wasn't the only thing. If that was it, he wouldn't have chosen fishermen and tax collectors as his first followers. He would have chosen seminary professors and started a college. So maybe people just need to know more. When you read the whole word of God, you see the heart of God the Father. You see it displayed. It's so perfectly in Christ, God the Son, that God is passionate about those who are far from him. I mean, Jesus spent most of his time, you read through the scriptures, other than hanging out with his disciples and teaching them how to do what he did as he reached out, he spent most of his time with, with, with the outcasts, with the sick, with the poor, with the addicts, with the prostitutes. And, and he had a passion to seek out those who were far from God, the furthest from God. Christ went after those. It's what drove his life on earth. And in fact, as he left earth, what do we hear him saying? We hear him saying to his followers, hey, keep do, doing this mission that I was on. Keep going on this mission. Go, go reach the world with the good news. Go to those who are furthest from God. And then we see right away in the book of Acts as it lays out, hey, here's the history of the early church. I mean, they did it. They cared about what Jesus cared about. They, they reached people far from God. So my question this morning for us, Harvest Muskoka, Harvest Perry Sound, what do we care about? What are we passionate about? What have we been passionate about over, over the last eight years of doing this? And, and I get it, we're not a perfect church, okay? I've been here since the beginning. So I, you wanna point out mistakes and stuff we do wrong. I see it, I get it. We're, we're not a perfect church, and yet here's one thing that I'm excited about, that from the very beginning, the heart of, of who, the people who started this, the people who keep coming, your heart has been this. We're not here to hide out and huddle up and wait for Jesus to come back. We don't want a church where it's, well, I want this, and I want that, and I want this, and I want it, and I want it, and I, it's all about I, right? No, no, a church that says, no, no, what does Jesus want? And so from the beginning, to be a church where we want to be at the heart of where God is. We want to be a church where what? That a church that, that seeks out the lost and the broken and point them to Jesus. We, we raise up those who, who know Christ to, to be mature followers of Christ. Why? So that they can also then join the mission to seek out those who are lost. And so over the next four Sundays, we're going to talk about what does it look like to, to live and speak boldly this gospel? I don't want us to ever lose the, the focus of why we're here, of our mission, this, this mission given to us by Jesus to reach those far from God. And so this morning, we're gonna dig in real quickly in Acts chapter four. What does it look like for us to have hearts of boldness? When you talk about boldness right away, you're like, man, I don't got that. If you, you wanna get people's heads to drop and feet to start, feet to start shuffling, just start talking about evangelism and talking about Jesus. Yeah, okay, well, uh, yeah, uh, right, <clears throat> right? It gets you're just nervous, right? We're gonna talk, well, what does it look like for our heart to be built up in that boldness? And then the next Sunday, we're gonna talk about what's it look like in our families? What's the gospel look like in our families to, to raise up families that are bold in the gospel? Then we're gonna look the next Sunday, what's it look like for this to go out into our communities? How do I share the gospel with my neighbors, with my coworkers, the people I go to school with? And then the final Sunday, we're gonna talk about what's this gospel look like going out to the nations around the world. So before we jump in, let, let me pray for us and then we'll dig into God's word together.
Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that, um, that you care so much about those far from God that you sought us out. And that God, you, you then filled us, empowered us with your spirit to go out onto that same mission, to go after others. Thank you for your heart for the lost. And I pray, Lord God, that you would build that same heart up in us. And I pray this in Jesus' name, the name that saves. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so, so what do I want us to grab a hold of in this series? As we go through the next four weeks, here, here's the, the, if you want to just say it in a sentence, here's what we're trying to get at over these three weeks. It's this, those who are all in for Jesus are willing to go all out for Jesus. Right? If you're all in for Jesus, you're willing to go all out for Jesus. So this morning, what was it that, that propelled the early church? As we dig into Acts, what was it that, that, that compelled them to reach out beyond their comfort zone, to, to go into a world that didn't know Jesus? And not did, did they not only know about Christ, they, they were hostile to the message. What propelled these, this small group of people, a handful of people, just maybe a hundred or so people in the, the very beginning of Acts, what propelled them to go out with the gospel so that by, by the early 300s that over half of the known world would call themselves a follower of Christ? I mean, that, that's without TV. That's without the internet and Facebook and Twitter. That, that's them going, this group of people that loved Jesus so much they cared about what he cared about to reach those far from God. Now, what was it? What was it that caused them to do it? What was it that grew the boldness in them? And I, I want us to look at Acts chapter four this morning to see where this boldness came from. So let me catch you up on the story. We're gonna hit Acts chapter four, but, but you see what happens. And in Acts chapter one, Jesus gives the mission again. He goes, guys, you're, you're gonna go out on this mission. He then says, I'm gonna give you my spirit. So it's not you doing it, but my spirit in you, empowering you. Peter then preaches a sermon in which thousands of people come to faith in Christ. 3,000 people in that one day from that one sermon. Then, then what do we find? In chapter three, they're walking on their way to the temple. They bump into this guy who has been, who has been lame, couldn't walk. He's, he's had this disability since birth. This guy far from God. I mean, in that culture, if, if you were lame, they believe every physical ailment always had a spiritual connection. If you're sick, something spiritual must be going on. You can't walk, man. You must be a big sinner. And so, so this guy here, he wasn't even allowed to come into the temple because they also believe, man, I don't want to get near those who have sickness because I don't want to catch it. I don't want to get their sin on me. And so avoided far from God. In chapter three, Peter and John see this guy. They, they, they then, what do they do? He wants money. They go, we don't have any money, but they point him to Jesus. He's healed of his lameness. Peter preaches another sermon. Another 2,000 people hear it and come to Christ. And what happens? The, the leaders, the religious and political leaders grab Peter and John and bring him to court. That's where we find ourselves in Acts chapter four. They're in trouble for talking about Jesus. Here's the thing. When I read through the book of Acts, a couple things strike me. I don't know if you get this. One is I get pretty fired up. I'm like, man, this is awesome. I want this to be me. I want to be like Peter and John. I want our church to be like that. I want us to, to see people's lives change radically and dramatically like they were in this, this book of Acts. And I want to see that happen. This all in, no looking back, reckless, abandoned for Jesus, boldness. Man, I want that. I need that. Our, our church needs that. But then I start to think this. Man, I'm no Peter and I'm no John. 
I mean, the truth is there, there are some of you, I mean, you, you've got this boldness for Jesus thing just dialed in, right? The Spirit has gifted you in that. But for many of us here, not many of us would say, yeah, I'm pretty much the Billy Graham of my family, right? I mean, I'm, I love seeing Billy Graham on TV, right? But back in the day when you used to watch him on TV, especially in interviews, it would take him like 30 seconds to beeline it for the gospel, right? Someone would be interviewing him. Hey, hey, Mr. Graham, what do you think about this upcoming election? We're, we're gonna have a new president. How are we gonna respond to this new president? He'd be like, well, I don't know much about a new president, but I know that you need a new heart. And so if you would repent and believe in Jesus right now, you could be saved, right? That, and I'm like, man, I could, I can't, it's not how I roll. I don't know if I could do that. I love people like that, but the truth is so many of us would go, that's just not something I know I could do. I know I should be like that. And we look to the Billy Grahams, we look to the people in Acts, we think, man, these are supernatural people. But listen, listen, when you read through scripture, understand this, there's only one supernatural being in scripture. Right? That's God. The book of Acts is a story of ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Why? Because the spirit of God has empowered them. Regular people like you and me. So what was it then that filled their hearts? What can fill our hearts so we have this boldness to be on this mission for Christ? And here's our first point this morning. It's this, I'm bold when I remember what I believe about Jesus. I'm bold when I remember what I believe about Jesus. When we begin to remember, hey, who is Jesus? What do we really believe about Jesus? Peter and John radically changed because of what they believed. Think about what your belief does. I was thinking of it this way. If you think of skydiving, jumping out of a plane. I mean, how many people have ever done that before? Jumped out of a perfectly good plane. Crazy, right? right. And I, I've done it before too. And I, I, I was, it was my first time ever doing it. So what do you do when it's the first time? You think, oh, it's safer because uh, I do it tandem, right? You have to go with somebody. I'm thinking, how is this safer? I'm strapping my body to a guy I just met, right? I would, let me have control of this thing, right? And what do you do? You jump out of that plane. And when you get to the edge of that plane door, nobody's thinking this, this is it. <laughs> I'm gonna die. That parachute's not gonna open. I'm, let's, here we go. You don't jump out believing you're going to die, Right? What do you jump out? You jump out believing that somebody packed that parachute right. They had a good day, right? You jump out believing when that thing opens up, right, it's gonna catch you and then slow your descent down. You believe you're gonna land safely with this rush of I just jumped from 18,000 feet, this is, right? But you don't jump believing I'm gonna die today. No, you had faith. You had a belief and that, that belief has us do things differently. So, so what was it that Peter and John believed that compelled them to reach out, out of their comfort zone with boldness? Well, they, they heal this man and, and Peter begins to talk to the, to the rulers about the miracle. Look at verse eight of chapter four. You get some insight into what they believed. Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers, of the people and elders. If we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what man means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all these people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders that has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I mean, what did Peter believe? I mean, Peter believed that Jesus was God. 
Peter believed that Jesus died for the sins of the world, that, that his death paid for all of our unrighteousness, that, that, that sin that breaks our relationship between us and God and can never be repaired by our good deeds because there will always be sin in the way. They believe Jesus' death took care of that. They believe that Jesus was the only way for that to happen. Do you read what he said here? That there's no other name under heaven. It wasn't, well, there's a lot of different ways that you can make that. No, 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 they didn't believe that. They, they believe that as Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. You can't get in your car and say, I'm gonna go to this place, but it doesn't matter which way I drive, right? Just look at it, it matters. And, and I am the way, and they believe that. We see these verses we see they also believe in something. They believed in the resurrection. They, they were witnesses to this resurrection. They, they believed in the power of the Holy Spirit. They believed in the word of God. They believed that Jesus commanded them to go into all the world with the gospel, that it wasn't a suggestion to go. It was a commission. They, they believed in all of those things. Now, church, listen, if we believe those same things, if we believe Jesus is the only way, if we believe the gospel is good news, that there is a way for us to be saved and reconciled and healed and transformed and our lives changed for eternity, if, if we believe that the, the spirit empowers us, that this is God's word, that Jesus rose from the grave, then wouldn't it be crazy for us to gather week in and week out and expect that God's not gonna do anything? Wouldn't it be inconsistent with that belief to say, well, well, can, can God actually change lives? Shouldn't we, if that's our belief, if we're jumping out onto this mission, we jump out saying, God's at work and he's gonna do some work. I love this story in Acts 4 because you see God at work so much. You see Jesus just changing lives all over the place. What do you see? The amount of people saved. If go back to verse one of chapter four, it says, as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came up to them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed and the number of the men that came, <clears throat> the number of men that came to about 5,000. That's just the men. That's not even counting the women and the children. I mean, people being changed all over the place. Peter and John standing in court. You got to picture this. They heal a guy. They drag them into court with this guy who couldn't walk since birth. So he's standing there as a picture of God's work. Jesus transforming. I can, he's just like, here I am. I couldn't do this before, right? So he's a picture of life change. You have Peter standing in this courtroom. You gotta remember that just weeks earlier, Peter had been just outside of that very same courtroom. The same courtroom where, where Jesus was tried and sentenced to death and Peter scared to even enter into that courtroom, scared so much so that he denied even knowing Jesus. And now Peter, standing in that very same place, look at verse 13 of chapter four. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, that they were uneducated and perceived they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished at their boldness. Look at verse 19. But Peter and John answered them, because he said, you guys can't talk about Jesus. And it says, they answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. Peter was changed. Why? He'd been with Jesus. He'd seen Jesus raised from the dead. It's what Peter believed about Jesus that brought this boldness into him. 
this boldness in the face of opposition. You have to recognize something that, that we go out on this mission and yeah, this mission is to see lives transformed, but I'm telling you, we're going out into a world where there will be opposition. I mean, it says in verse one of chapter four that they were upset that they were teaching people about Jesus and the resurrection. I mean, that seems like good things. What are the, what are the religious leaders and the, and the political leaders so upset about? Because the gospel threatened their authority. It, it threatened their power over the people. It, it threatened their status in the community. It, it threatened their long-held beliefs about God. The message was threatening. And listen, the message you have to preach. Why do we need boldness? Because the message is threatening. It, it's an amazing, glorious, life-changing, eternity-changing gospel that we have. It's good news that, that Jesus died for sinners. And at the same time, it's a threatening message. It threatens our pride. It threatens our self-sufficiency. It, it threatens our lifestyle. It threatens our relationships. It, it threatens our beliefs. It's the good news, but it's also threatening to undo everything about everyone who we preach it to or we say, listen, apart from God, you're more sinful than you would ever care to admit. That's an offensive message. And the moment where we recognize this is not gonna go well, we come back to this reality. Who is Jesus? Jesus is God the Son who died for me, rose again, has now empowered me with the Spirit and sent me out on this mission that he called me to. To go where the hurting and the broken are healed, to go where addicts are set free, to go where the excluded are included, to go where marriages are healed, to go to where the lost are found. And Jesus sends us on this life-changing mission. And when it happens, listen, when you go out on this, when you believe Jesus is who he says he is, the scared Peters become bold Peters. The angry, murderous Sauls become missionary Pauls. People on the outside looking in going, man, will I ever be able to get into this game to be on this mission? Jump in. Why? Because they recognize who Christ is. They're filled with his spirit. They recognize who they are in relation to the almighty creator of the universe and that he's been pursuing you to change you and then to send you out on that same mission. I mean, do you believe this? Do you believe Jesus is who he says he is? Do you believe in his character? Do you believe in his promises? <clears throat> I love the story of Peter jumping out of the boat. What made him jump out of the boat? Because he believed Jesus. If you're really Jesus, call me out. And he jumps out in the middle of a storm because he believed in the character. He believed in the promises. So listen, like Peter did, when we're called out to a scary mission, we jump out of the boat because we believe who Jesus is. And this belief changes everything. Here's our second point this morning. Where does this boldness come from? I'm bold when I see the power of the gospel. I'm bold when I see the power of the gospel. What do I mean by that? I mean, I think there's oftentimes we go, yeah, okay, I know I'm supposed to share my faith. I know I'm supposed to talk about Jesus to those around me, to my family, my schoolmates, my workmates, my neighbors. But, but man, if, if I do it, I'm gonna screw it up. I don't know enough to share. I, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a seminary professor. I don't know all the answers. And again, the theme throughout the entire book of Acts is ordinary people with an extraordinary message. 
It's, it's not about great men and women. It's about the power of the gospel. Go back to, to Acts chapter three, verse 12. Again, see the lame guy here. And when Peter saw it, all these people came to see this lame guy dancing around who they've seen day in and day out outside the temple. And it says, when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we've made him walk? It's not about us. This is, this is God at work. We didn't do this. We didn't, we didn't cause this man to walk. Again, he says in verse 12, by no other name under heaven are we saved. It's because of Jesus. Peter and John said the power's not in us. It's the message we have. It's Jesus that we bring. And all through the book of Acts, man, do a word study through Acts and just look up how many times it says the name of Christ, the name of Christ, the name of Jesus. All the way through, they keep pointing to, it's not us, but it's by the power of the name of Christ. It's all Jesus. And what I want us to see in this, the power for boldness, to be filled with boldness does not come in, in, because you have a great personality of boldness. Boldness isn't rooted in your personality. Well, I'm an extrovert, I'm an introvert. It doesn't matter. It's the, boldness isn't rooted in who we are and how God has created our personality. There are all kinds of people all through the book of Acts preaching the good news of Jesus Christ, introverts and extroverts. It's, it's not rooted in our intelligence and what we bring to the table with our smarts. I love that in, in Acts 4 and verse 13, it says they, they saw that these were uneducated men. These guys didn't get to go to the same rabbinical schools and, and seminaries that those who were questioning them got to go to. They, they were tradesmen. These guys aren't educated yet. They have such boldness. Our boldness doesn't come from what we know and how much education we have. It's not rooted in our personality. It's not rooted in anything we bring to the table. If it's about what we bring to the table, it's a false boldness. If it's like, you know, I can do this because I can speak well, because I, I know some good answers, because I've read some books. It's a false boldness. It's a boldness rooted in ourselves. That boldness will not last. Genuine boldness is rooted in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. It's, it's rooted in the, the truth that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe that the gospel changes lives. When God's spirit comes, comes in and does a work, People are transformed. I mean, did you believe that? I mean, do you believe that? Do you, do you believe that, that, that that's what happens? That, that, that do we really believe that God transforms people by his spirit? That there, there's power in the name of Christ? That, that his death and resurrection mean something? Because if we believe that, then here's the thing. Who cares if we stumble? Who cares if I'm talking to somebody and I kind of mess it up a little bit? Man, if you get Jesus' life, death, and resurrection right, you've nailed the gospel. Who cares if we stutter or we stammer? Who cares if we have to say, you know what, I don't know that. But I'm gonna, I'll pray about it. I'll dig through the word. I'll find, if, you, if you're like, man, I wanna know the word better, start talking to people about Jesus. It'll force you to know the word better, right? Because they'll ask great questions. But it's not up to us. It's believing the power of the gospel. When we believe that, it changes everything. It, it, it impacts even, listen to this, it even impacts what our boldness will look like. When you hear gospel boldness and boldness for Jesus, I, I'll tell you what I normally think about. 
I was in, when I was in, in Bible college, I ended up at, in, in New Orleans in Mardi Gras. Don't ask what a good Christian boy is doing at Mardi Gras. I was such a good Christian boy, I had no idea what it was. I know now. All right, so here we are at Mardi Gras. And, and when I think boldness, sometimes when I hear people say, we gotta be bold for Jesus, it was that group of people walking through the center of the party happening at Mardi Gras with a bullhorn screaming hateful things with these big signs that says, all the people that God hates. That's not gospel boldness. You're not bold when you're doing that. I remember seeing these guys going, man, you guys are just mean. Like, you're angry elves. You need a hug. Like, what's, what's going on? Like, this is not Jesus walking through the streets here. That's not boldness. That's not gospel boldness. Because when you meet Jesus, when you understand the truth of the gospel, it changes you. And you, you begin to see that, that you were lost and naked and blind and unloved and unlovable. And yet God came in and said, I'm adopting you. I'm changing you. I've pursued you. I love you. And you are adopted and transformed. I'm telling you, when we grab a hold of that gospel truth, you could never be arrogant again. I've said this before. I have friends who work as servers in restaurants. Do you know the worst shift to get in a restaurant, typically? Sunday afternoon. Do you know why? That's when the body of Christ comes into the restaurants. <laughs> like, yeah, people are just ruder. They don't tip. If you're... <laughs> If you don't tip, but you leave that, that goofy track with a million dollar look to it and you don't give any tip, that, that's not good, okay? That's a, you're not endearing people to the message of Christ. Right? It, it, here's the thing, and I, I'll say this. I'm not saying this to, to drop this judgment on us because I'll guess this because I, I know you guys. I, I, I live with you guys. I, I'm not talking about what my guess is you're probably the kindest, gentlest, most outgoing people as you step into restaurants, but typically the church has not been that way. But listen, if the gospel has changed us, then we're transformed people. What should we then be known by? What does our, what does our boldness look like? Our boldness looks like, like compassion and kindness and forgiveness. I mean, those are words that would describe the early church. Those are words that would describe Christ. If, if you're changed by the gospel, you become someone who's concerned about people's hearts. In fact, you're more concerned about their hearts than you are about, man, look at the way they look. That's not gospel. If you're, if you're transformed by the gospel, you, you show compassion, not criticism. You, you show kindness, not kicking people when they're down. I mean, how often have you heard this said, that the church is the only army that shoots its own wounded? I mean, may that never be so here at Harvest. Where we'd show forgiveness rather than pounding on people to be perfect. And I love that you can show up here Sunday, every Sunday. You can show up in your small group and you can show up wrecked. And someone say, come on in, come on in. Because listen, we're all wrecked here. And I've used this illustration before. This may be a hospital, but there's only one doctor and it's Jesus. The rest of us are in the hospital with you, right? Some people might be pushing wheelchairs, but they're on crutches as they're doing it, right? We're all beggars pointing other beggars to where to find bread, and the early church lived out this, this compassion, this kindness, this forgiveness. I mean, there's story after story of the impact of the church in the first century. There wasn't a, a social service in the first century. It was the church. It was the church that took care of the needs. 
Even the story here, Peter and John see this guy, this hurting guy, this guy shunned by everybody because you don't want to get near him because obviously there's sin in his life that made him that way. So we want to stay away. And what do they do? They walk up to him. He says, I need some money. Right? Everybody apart from Christ looking for something to fill for hope. Right? Looking for that, I need a foundation under me. He said, I just need money. And they say, yeah, that, that's not your need that you have. You have a deeper need than that, one that will bring true hope. And it says that they reached down and lifted him up. They touched him. Everybody else avoids this guy. They touch him. They're not concerned about guilty by association. Man, aren't you glad that God does not struggle with being guilty by association? That Jesus hung out with sinners Why am I glad about that? Because it means that Jesus could pursue my sinful heart. We remember the gospel. We're we're empowered with this gospel boldness, this this gospel forgiveness, this gospel compassion. And it's, listen, it's, it's gonna happen. When that happens, you become a church that runs into the brokenness. Not afraid of it. Not afraid to come into that, that mess of broken lives. I thank God that it's happened. I thank God that testimony after testimony, people say, man, I, I just love my small group because I come and I just share, here's my garbage. And we say, say it a lot, this idea that, listen, you don't need to be perfect to come. You, you can come broken, but we're not gonna keep you that way. We're gonna steer you towards wholeness in Christ, but you come with the brokenness. What's that look like? The picture I thought of was this. If you have kids, you get this. When your kids are sick at night, Kids don't have this, oh, I'm going to be sick. I should probably get out of bed, make my way to the bathroom, and be sick. No, what, like, kids are just like, Bleh, right? Just everywhere. It's like, ah. And, and, and I step in as a, as a dad. I got to step in, right? And we'll use I'm like, Libby, go. No, I don't, right? You step, you say, I'm a sympathetic vomiter. You guys know what that is? Like, you see someone, you're like, oh, I'm going to go too, right? So, but you step in. But what do you do? If you have kids, you don't step into your kid's room and go, oh, man. Tell you what, clean yourself up, do the laundry, take care of those sheets, have a shower, then come in my room and I'll give you a hug. No, as a parent, what do you do? You come in and you grab a hold of that puke-soaked kid, right? And you lift them up to yourself. You walk them into the bathroom. You start cleaning them up. That's the gospel at work in a church. When we run into lives like that, listen, are we doing it perfectly? Of course we're not. But that's our heart. Where people see the life change. Where people walk in towards the mess like Peter and John did. Why? Because Jesus walked into our mess. That when we were broken. What's the surest way you can know? I mean, do, I, do I have this kind of, of boldness? Do I have this kind of, listen, it's when, when you shake off that lack of concern, when you shake off the apathy When you start to say, you know what, I, I just haven't thought. People are going to hell without Christ and I, I don't have a, a passion to reach them. How, how do we get that boldness back? You return again to the gospel. Jesus changed me. And that same power now at work in me, in, in the lives of those you reach out to, that same power now at work in those as you enter into the brokenness, enter in with the hope of Jesus. Lastly, here's our last point real quickly. I'm bold when I rest in the sovereign power of God. I'm bold when I rest in the sovereign power of God. 
Think about this. So, so Peter and John, they're, they're, they're in this courtroom. They're told by these leaders, the same leaders that killed Jesus, they said, hey, don't talk about Jesus anymore. Then they kick him out. Peter and John go back to the church and they say, guys, we need to pray. It's interesting what they pray. They don't, they don't say, hey, we need to pray that the, the opposition stops. We need to pray that we're safe. You know what they pray for? Say, we need to pray for more boldness. I love that. Who, who prays for boldness? People who are scared. Peter and John say, man, we don't want to do this. We need to pray. What do they pray? Look what they pray. I, I'm going to go through this quickly. Verse 23 of chapter 4. Here's the prayer. They released, they went to their friends, reported what the chief priests and elders said to them. When they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of your father, David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon the threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They pray this prayer for boldness, but you catch how it starts. It starts with them saying, Sovereign Lord, that word there for Lord, it's, it's a unique word. It's not used very often to describe God. It's not the normal word you would use, Lord, to talk about God. It's this word, it means a leader with ultimate control. It's actually, it's a word that, that sounds a lot like a, a, a despot. It's a dictator. That's, the, that's where we get this, the word translates. And don't, don't miss this. Here's the other thing. When they face opposition, what do they come back to? To embolden themselves. They don't wring their hands. They don't wonder, man, does God have a plan? Like, does he not know what's going on? They come back and go, God, you are in control of everything. You're in control of the earth, the stars, the planets. You're, you're in control of all the kings and, and all the leaders. When you speak, history unfolds. That Jesus wasn't crushed in the wheels of history. God was turning those wheels to, to have his plan happen. In the, faith of, in the face of opposition, they come back and they say, God, you're Lord of all. And they're bold. And they're bold. They're bold to step out and to speak this message that is a tough message to speak. Very few people are coming up to you probably and say, hey, hey, would you tell me why I'm a, a sinner and I have nothing good in me of myself and that I'm lost and dead in my sin? People don't do that. It's gonna cost us to step out. It's gonna cost us our schedules. It's gonna cost us some relationships, perhaps. The mission's always costly. It's costly to live out the gospel. It's costly even in our Christian lives to live out the truth of the gospel. It's costly in our marriage to say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pursue just because Jesus calls me to. Don't be surprised when you, when you encounter opposition, but, but what, is, what does this say here? It says, but to understand, to recognize, God, you're in control even in this. This prayer is great. It shows that Peter and John are scared. And yet, think about that. He, Peter just preached a sermon where 2,000 people came to know Christ. Before that, 3,000 people, they just healed a guy. And yet they're saying, Lord, we're scared. 
Heard someone say it this way, past success does not determine future boldness. To have a heart of boldness, we need Jesus today. We need his power every step. We need to rely on his spirit. We need to remember that he is in control and daily we can rely on him. Here's the great thing. God answers their prayer. Look at verse 31. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. I mean, this is so great. Don't don't get lost in the shaking room thing. God God answers the prayer. He gives this boldness. Now, Now the room shakes and it's not like, man, I wish that happened here. That would make the coolest worship experience ever if the room would just shake. And God did the miraculous. Why? Because they'd stepped out on mission. If you're not experiencing the power of God's spirit in your life, if you're not experiencing the power of the gospel and of Jesus, my question is this, are you on mission? I mean, Matthew 28, Jesus says, I'll be with you to the end of the age. But he said in the context of as you go. Acts 1.8 says, you'll receive the power of the Holy Spirit. What? As you go. As you're my witnesses. God didn't need to show up in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's life. Those guys thrown in the fiery furnace. If they just hung out in the palace not doing anything, they wouldn't need the power of God. But because they stood up and they were bold as they were thrown in the furnace, God performed the miracle of preserving their lives. All through Acts, God shows up because they're on mission, because they're moving forward where God needs to act. I tell you, I often call out, God, I, I just want you to do the miraculous. And I can hear God saying, then step out where I need to do the miraculous, Kai. I want the miraculous, but I don't often live a life that needs it. When we look at Scripture... It's when they were out there on mission, having this unwavering witness that God showed up in miraculous ways. So this morning and through this series, I want us to pray this same prayer. Pray for God. Would you, would you, would you give us boldness? God, we're scared. I don't want to do this. I, I, I don't. I, I mean, I get nervous every time I feel God's spirit saying, hey, talk to that person. No, no, Lord. Really? What you, pray for boldness. Pray for boldness. Let's pray and see God answer and let's pray and see miracles happen. Let's pray and see God explode his spirit in our families, in our lives, in our community. Would you stand with me as the worship team comes up as I close in prayer? Lord God, I I do pray for boldness. We are living in a world where your word says that it's, It's increasingly evil. The days are evil, you say. Father, there are people who are are starving, dying of spiritual thirst, needing the good news, and we have it, Lord. I pray that you would fill us with boldness to be out on mission, to be on a mission of care and compassion, to be on a mission boldly sharing the good news of who you are, Jesus. And we recognize that as we step out to do that, we recognize, Lord God, that it's not by our power. If it were up to us, this whole thing would fail. But God, you promise us that when we go, you go with us. You promise us to to fill us, to empower us with your spirit. And so, Lord God, we go out with a confidence, not in our skill, not in our abilities, because, Lord God, we don't have a lot. But God, we're confident that you're going to use us. Lord God, that you use us in the most remarkable places. Father, I, I keep hearing testimonies, Lord God, of people in dark places, and you're using them. 
people in the, in the weakest of places, and yet you choose to use them to speak to the people that are around them. God, would you send us out and we go with boldness, not in our personality, not in our education, not in what we have, but God, we go boldly knowing that you go before us, that you move mountains, that you change lives. So we step out on this mission together, and I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.